What's up, Literacy Advocates? I'm your host, Timmy Bauer. I'm experimenting today with trying to record a podcast episode from Panera. So if there's any background music, I apologize. My internet is down at my house. Um, my guest today is Victoria Thompson. She is a, oh my gosh, I, Victoria, you, I, I totally missed your, your title. <laughs> when, I, when I was checking your, your, how no I was going to introduce you. So I am a STEM integration transformation coach. That's my actual title. I just call myself a STEM coach. So I'm like a STEM instructional coach. And I'm also a professional learning specialist for the Northwestern Council for Computer Education, otherwise known as NCCE. Awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you. So uh, Victoria's got a Bachelor of Science in Elementary Education. She has a Master's in Curriculum and Instruction. In 2022, she'll start her doctorate in Educational Leadership. She has been in education for six years, having served third through 12th. She's working on a book for 2021 called Gay, Black, and Math. And she runs a podcast with Eileen Whitaker, Melody McAllister, uh, and it's called Courageous Conversations in Ed Tech. Victoria, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I, I know we went through like a couple iterations of, you know, meeting, but then you had another meeting and then meeting yeah. and then my internet was out. And then, so I'm super pumped to be here today. Yeah, I'm pumped too. So the, the yes. topic of conversation we're going to talk about, and apparently a lot's happened in this conversation that I haven't been a part of because I haven't put a lot of focus on Twitter lately, but uh, it's just this, it's the conversation around the canon of literature um, why don't you do this, Victoria? How about just bring me up to speed on where the conversation is at right now? Like what, what is happening on Twitter and what's your take on it? Yeah. Uh, so I'll start. I, I think it's important for folks to know that I'm not ELA, la, 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 words. I'm not ELA <laughs> by trade, right? I'm not English by trade. I'm not uh, social science by trade. A lot of the work and really the majority of the work that I've done has been um, in STEM, right? Science and math education, technology consulting, and then also in my role now as a STEM coach. Regardless, though, I feel like it's important for me to mention that I believe that literacy is everybody's responsibility. And when I look at what I do with math and science teachers, especially, specifically when I was you know, a full-time teacher, right, for science and math, and then just kind of focused solely on math, is that a lot of folks were like, oh, well, you know, yeah, we could read, but that's the English teacher's job, right? Or, oh, well, you know, we could bring up this resource, but that's the social studies teacher's job, right? They kind of always build it under the, okay, well, since it's like the responsibility of the ELA, the social studies, right, the world language department, that we don't really have to do any of that stuff. And that's never how I've operated. I've always been the kind of person where I bring literacy into the classroom. Whether or not that's canon is a bit of a different story, depending on who I'm teaching, what I'm teaching. But in a lot of literature, there are ways to really bring science and math to the forefront. So I look to a lot of different types of text in order to kind of give applicable situations to my students to let them know that, hey, math and science, it's not just you know numbers and formulas. It's a little bit of everything and we can pull it from a ton of different resources. Yeah. Uh, to go to your point just about what's been happening on social media and also just in the general scheme of things, um, unfortunately, I have to report that it's kind of more of the same, where it seems okay. like it's two very different factions and one is defending the canon vehemently. And they're like, yes, yeah. the canon, we have to teach it. Like, I didn't get a master's degree to let kids read their own things. Yep. I mean, 
somewhat fair, right? Like I have a master's degree and I know I would feel some type of way if a student was like, well, you know, Pythagorean theorem, that's kind of cool, but you know, let's count M&Ms instead. <laughs> now, not to say that Pythagorean theorem and M&Ms are in any way comparable, but you know, I do feel like as the educators in the room, we do have a bit of a responsibility to choose texts that we feel fit. On, in that same vein though, I don't see how all of those texts need to be from white men, white women that you know were written in the 17, 1800s and, and prior. You know, yeah. I see room for both. I've had room for both in my classroom, leveraging um, you know, literacy in order to highlight math and highlight science and do different types of problems with that. Um, I've worked very closely alongside ELA and social studies teachers to make these kinds of connections happen. I don't see why there can't be room for both. I don't think that those are both bad and I don't value one over the other. What I'm saying is that it's very important to analyze through a critical lens. And especially if we get to a point where we're working with students, you know, you know, and even for me as like a working adult and a colleague, I'm a black woman and I rarely saw, you know, texts that had people that looked like me in it. And even when my ELA teachers taught Toni Morrison, I, I've, been, I've never had a black teacher. I was my first black teacher. So I just yeah. kind of think about all of that with everything that I do. And even working with the humanities teachers now, you know, in my role as an instructional coach, we lead with curriculum focus first and then figure like, okay, how can we figure out what text can help with that? It's not yeah. canon, not canon. It's let's figure out what's best for the needs of our kids. And like, I feel like Disrupt Text does a great job of that. Uh, there's definitely merit in the canon but I'm looking at just all the different things that are offered and we have to lead with the kids. We have to lead with the kids. So when you're looking on Twitter, you see basically this two factions staunchly opposed to each other. One is we need the canon and the other is no, get rid of the canon. Or is that not what you're seeing? So it's not necessarily get rid of the canon, but more like, hey, the canon's over here, but here are all of these awesome authors and all of these other awesome books and, you know, all of this awesome other content that we can be taking advantage of here. Yeah. So when I look at it from my lens and, you know, I can only speak for myself, I feel like so many of the educators that I work with still are stuck in, you know, like the Great Gatsby, the Iliad, the Odyssey, you know, all of these, you know, things that are upheld as classics. And again, there's merit there. And, and I'm not saying that they're bad, but with all of that heavy focus, kids do miss out on a lot of literature that could be more applicable to their lives. You know, they've got that diverse perspective. It has an option for, for kids to really see themselves in the literature. Yeah. And in math and science, especially, right? Because like, I always look at it as, okay, once I read this, how can I make connections? If I'm working with an ELA or humanities or whatever teacher, how can we make those connections together? I just see a lot more coming from that arena than I do from the canon. I don't know if it's because, um, you know, the way that the canon is taught, I really don't know. I don't know if it's because maybe teachers themselves haven't been really asked to make those deep connections. And I also know that in my various roles, I'm usually the first person that says, hey, well, I know that you're reading XYZ. Can we collaborate so we can come up with a project? A lot of ELA teachers and humanities and social studies teachers I'm finding are not approached by math and science to collaborate on projects and activities. It's usually cross-departmental, but it's never, you know, to the scale of what I'm trying to do. So I think that there are a couple of different factors that, uh, you know, that influence that. Again, merit and everything, but we're trying to lead with the kids. And I think that there's room for both.
I think yeah. that there's both. Victoria, I'm curious about this. From to the best of your understanding, what is the best argument for the canon? So coming from the folks that want to uphold the canon, what is the what is their steel man what is the steel man version of their argument? Because this okay, is so something I'm, that I also want to understand. Yeah. So <laughs> I I'm gonna speak from my perspective, right? So I can only speak for myself. But I remember when I was in school, right? When I was in grad school, when I was an undergrad, and even when I was an educator, like full time in the classroom, what I was told was that these are the books of your culture, right? Like these are the books of your culture, these are the books of Western culture. And I think about this and I'm like, well, as a black woman, I just don't know if these are truly the books of my culture. You know, I used to teach at an international school where a large majority of our students came from, from uh, Asian and African countries. It, it wasn't the books of their culture either, right? Yeah. So, so, yeah. so when I hear these are the books of your culture, I think, okay, culture for who, right? Like who exactly is this the culture for? Uh -huh. um, now, if we want to examine other cultures, you know, via that, because as a black woman, you know, I'm so far removed from what it's like to be a white man or a white woman, I can look at the text underneath of that lens, but to automatically have the blanket statement of, okay, well, you know, you were born in America, right, in the 20th century, because I was born in 1993, you know, these are 20th century books, this, like, this is your culture, I just don't buy that. I personally mm. don't buy that because there are so many different nuances of culture and then what we perceive as different people in culture, right? Where I wouldn't yeah. consider that part of my culture for, yeah. for a very, you know. Well, what about, yeah, reasons. what about these are foundational pieces of American culture versus this is our culture? Because so, I also I, disagree with you, but I think that, yeah. I think taking a less of a staunch approach is probably going to lead to a more correct outcome if I'm trying agree, to steel yeah. man that side of the argument and, yeah. and tr try to argue why it would be valuable to bring this stuff in. But of course, yeah. this is me trying to steel man an argument that I don't right. personally <laughs> hold. Um, right. I, 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 I've said before on this podcast that I just don't understand why we push this stuff so hard. I mean, yeah. for, I, I, I do from a historical perspective, this is this is my thing is this stuff matters when it comes to understanding history. But I don't understand so much why it's considered to be so important mm. when it comes to literacy. Right. This like, why do I need to know? Sorry, what? So this is the same way with math and science, right, where we learn all these theorems, we learn all these scientists and they're mostly white men, you know, not to discredit the work that white men do. But there's definitely a hierarchy in STEM education where, you know, we learn about the Isaac Newtons and the Albert Einsteins, right? But we don't really learn about the Catherine Johnsons and the Rosalinds, right? Like, we just don't learn about these types of people. Um, so for me, it's definitely looking at that lens and thinking, okay, why? You know, and just like how you said, I feel like if there is a semantics shift from this is your culture to these are the foundations. Now, of course, that can still be argued, but there are merits there. You know, yeah, like and I, I, would, I wouldn't even gas. say, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I wouldn't even oh, no, say these are the foundations. The thing that I would say is these are foundational components. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe even like some of these works inspired other works. You know, I look at how many people credit the great Gatsby or, you know, like, you know, different types of work from Ernest Hemingway, right? Sylvia Plath. 
there's no doubt that there's inspiration there, but to flat out call it foundation, I, I just kind of sit there and scratch my head. I'm like, ah, I just don't know if that's right. <laughs> right. Or like, you know, thinking about culture, I, like I'm just thinking, yeah, that's not really the foundations of my culture. Is there still merit? Absolutely. But that semantic shift, I think would be really important. If you were an ELA teacher, how do you think you would go about creating um, the reading environment for your kids in terms of like, what, what are they choosing from? Well, after working with ELA and social studies teachers for a long time, right, basically ever since I started teaching, because I'm very big on interdisciplinary work. Honestly, that's where I would begin just, hey, we're starting here. Um, what am I working on? What are you working on? What are we all working on? And how can we find ways to actually make that collaborative? Um, I'm a big fan, especially with reading, you know, because a lot of the teachers at the school that I used to work at did independent reading time, which I mean, I think is lovely. I love independent reading, but it wasn't structured. And a lot of it was just kids flipping through pages and they weren't even reading. Right. So just thinking, about, I haven't heard that perspective on the podcast yet. I've had a, a really? few really staunch proponents of independent reading time really? and, and, and specifically about how unstructured it should be. So, okay, so that's interesting because every single educator that I've encountered in my personal spaces, right, so I can only speak for mine, and again, I don't know if this is maybe just, you know, guidelines weren't set up for independent reading, or they were just like, here's 30 minutes, here's a book, have fun, because I have definitely worked with people like that before, but then kids are just kind of staring at the same page for 30 minutes, you know, they're not reading, if that makes sense. They're not taking in any content. They're just kind of like, okay, this is something I have to do for 30 minutes. And I don't know if maybe that was a weakness on the people that I have worked with in the past, or maybe that was a weakness on just what the expectations were departmentally. Um, but that's something that I think is, you know, for me was very important for my formative years and something that I like because that unstructured nature Right. It gives students the opportunity to dive into a piece of text that might not be something that I am requiring as the teacher. Right. Or not something that might not even be directly related to the content. Just having that independent reading time to focus in on a text or even if it's not like a direct text, like an audio book or something or a podcast or just something that they love. Um, that is really important to me. I've been loving this conversation. We're starting to move into a territory that honestly, I'd love to continue talking about, but it's probably for another episode. <laughs> and that is when it comes to this, yeah. the, the question of independent reading. But uh, Victoria, this has been a really uh, enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for taking your time with me. How should listeners connect yeah, with so you? So I'm by far the most active on Twitter. Uh, most of my tweets are about math, tech, equity, and bread. Um, if you follow me, you'll find out very quickly that I love to bake and I love to bake bread. Um, so you can follow Follow me on Twitter at Victoria the Tech. As an instructional coach now, I do share lots of different resources, working with multiple different types of populations. Even though my work is that of a STEM coach, I work very closely with lots of different teams. So you'll find lots of humanities, ELA, and social studies there as well. On my Twitter page is the link to my website. So if you'd like to connect on LinkedIn, send me an email, contact me, you're more than welcome to. I'm very friendly. So please reach out. I love to talk. I love to collaborate. And I just love talking about this kind of stuff. Because like I said, literacy is everybody's responsibility. And with my background in STEM, I did receive a lot of opposition about incorporating it into the classroom. To me, that's not okay. So anytime I have an opportunity to speak about my experience with STEM and literacy, I am more than happy to talk about it. Awesome. Thanks again, Victoria. Yes. Thank you, Timmy.